0: Welcome to FOSS and Crafts,
1: a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together
0: with my co-host Morgan
1: and my co-host Chris. So it has been a rough week.
0: I think it's been a rough number of weeks, if we're going to be honest.
1: Yeah, let's, let's just call it a month.
0: Maybe actually a rough number of months to be
1: honest yeah, i think honestly probably since august
0: maybe longer but we'll we'll say at least since then um so so it's been good like there's good news right like so mm-hmm. f- first of all uh we, all of
1: the conferences
0: yeah we done uh, we just had that episode about activity pub conference and then right after that um i gave a talk at RacketCon, and, and and so on so that's that's good that's done and went nicely uh, you also have some big news.
1: Uh, yeah, so I hit a major deadline for my dissertation. I turned in uh, most of my dissertation, except for the conclusion chapter, to my whole committee. And that means that I am on schedule to graduate in May.
0: Hooray! Woo! And during that period, uh, as a kind of a side effect of that production process, uh, I also ended up putting something out. Which we'll talk about later. Uh, the scribble exporter for uh, Open Document format, uh, but we're this—that's getting way too ahead of ourselves, I think.
1: But basically, the gist of all of this is that we have been in kind of a sustained crunch mode for months.
0: Yeah, and especially this last month. Once Morgan handed in her dissertation draft we kind of were like, okay, let's try to return to normalcy. And it turns out that can be really hard, especially especially if your body is adapted to yeah. things.
1: So in general, I don't drink caffeine unless I need to because I have chronic daily headaches and adding caffeine headaches to that is not helpful. Except for the past couple of months, I have needed that caffeine. So now that I'm back to normal that also means i'm going through caffeine withdrawal
0: yeah uh and i've been completely the opposite of my normal schedule which i normally like normally morgan actually kind of gives me a hard time sometimes for being an old an old person going to bed at like 10 p.m or whatever because morgan is much more than out owl, but lately my schedule's been so off that I've been going to bed later than Morgan at, like, 2 a.m. or whatever.
1: And that throws me off.
0: Yeah. So, so anyway, we don't mean to completely bog our listeners down by just opening up an episode and just complaining at them nonstop. Just
1: episode that, over. That's all you get. Yeah,
0: that's all you get. That's all
1: we've got energy for. Complaints
0: only. Thanks. Thanks for joining our complaint podcast. Hope you've enjoyed yourself. <laughs> Uh, no, we so we actually we do have some nice and interesting things that actually jump off a bit from from all of that that we wanted to talk about on this episode. So let's let's shift over to uh, some nicer and interesting things. And, and actually, let's jump back. Um, I think we haven't talked as much in detail about some of this since the very early, like the first episode where we gave some background stuff. But um, we're going to talk about some stuff related to Scribble and Racket and so on and so on.
1: And digital humanities.
0: Yeah, but let's, let's start off with kind of a background of uh, what the heck is digital humanities and what's your background there? Because that's pretty relevant Oof. to the rest of this episode.
1: What is digital humanities is like something that lots and lots of dissertations have defined in their introduction it's, chapters because it's nebulous. It's, it's basically humanities but with a digital aspect which is as broad as that sounds
0: it's a well-defined term like cloud or blockchain everyone knows what it is and agrees on the same thing every time they use it
1: exactly except not so yeah it's it's nebulous but i have been doing things in this vague cloud of digital humanities for the last several years and for that um prior to the story we're going to tell about our digital humanities uh, workshops, I had learned Python, HTML, and CSS. And I had struggled learning some of those things.
0: You did pretty good. You did good. But you it was for a specific thing. You were building a website yeah. for for a specific project, which is not the purpose of this episode. So we don't need to go into the specifics of that really mm-hmm. on this one. But the, the important thing is that you had some background in programming programming and so on, even though your main background is art history. Right? Yep. And you were getting more into those kind of things. So, um, and, uh, and you know, and I'll, I've been very encouraging for you to get into these things for quite a long time. Uh, and I think actually where some of the background pre this Digital Humanities Workshop stuff we're going to talk about, I think actually the first kind of precursor to it was when you came into my office at one point. We were talking about some document I was writing up. And I hit a couple of keystrokes and suddenly the document reappeared out of my text editor as a web page. And I hit a couple more keystrokes and it reappeared as a PDF file. And you said, I think you were like, what the heck? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, what how is did- this magic? Right. And I was org mode inside of Emacs. And I, I said that. And then I, what was the exact phrasing you used? And my, my response was, damn it, Chris, don't get me excited
1: about org mode. I do not have time to learn it right now.
0: It, and emacs and, and emacs uh, and then i think like actually stormed out of my office yeah, in frustration but uh, be. uh but anyway but you know I, I was delighted uh but but i mean that it, it's a tie-in in that there's some of these really interesting and cool and useful tools that sometimes programmers have access to
1: that the rest of the world has no clue about
0: right and, you know, and I've for a long time have said, you know, well, if you kept your stuff in revision control and could see the changes between the past and the present. I mean, I guess some of those tools do exist in word processors, but not as nicely as what programmers have access to. Yeah, so, for,
1: for most humanities people, the version of revision control we use is slightly different file names with like the date of when we submitted that particular draft.
0: Right. So I guess the next milestone would have been Christmas 2017
1: I think or something it might have been Thanksgiving it was one of those holidays that are only a month apart right in 2017 we were driving back from a family gathering and started talking about well now that I know some programming and Chris had some free time uh we were talking about well what if we actually just did something, put together some sort of workshop or tutorial or something like that to teach programming to other people like me.
0: Sure. And I, I think at that point you were thinking more about like a course, mm-hmm. right? And we just kind of like brainstormed out loud. And I said, well, you know, that whole exchange we had with like the Emacs thing and the stuff like that, Like that was a good exchange, except that, you know, Emacs is kind of sometimes overwhelming for people but i know that um the programming language racket has uh this scribble markup language that they've got which is
1: yeah. and a built-in text editor
0: right so they've got dr racket and that's key i guess partly because of the uh don't learn emacs that, well, or, well
1: part of it is that. If you're going to be teaching people using Emacs, then you have to teach people Emacs before you can teach them anything else.
0: Right. So it's not that Emacs is a bad thing to learn. It's like I. It's like if you can add that to your tool your toolkit, obviously you can do a lot of useful things. But it's like a. But if, if
1: you've got a three hour workshop.
0: Yeah, then you could teach people maybe just Emacs, but not anything else. Right. Yeah. So the goal here is to teach somebody something that they can do usefully right off the bat but this ended up manifesting in a way that wasn't a full course so do you want to talk about what that was
1: yeah so we decided to put together some materials for and a workshop to teach programming to humanities students who didn't think they were programmers and we ended up putting on three of these workshops one at university of wisconsin madison which was graciously hosted by the material culture uh focus group, which I was the president of at the time. So
0: So you had a good way of bootstrapping that as well. That, that was
1: nice and convenient. So we did one at University of Wisconsin. The next one was adjacent to Libre Planet. Marine Duffy at Red Hat.
0: Friend of the show. Uh, wonderful person.
1: Found us uh space and offered us a room at Red Hat to run a Workshop right after Libre Planet in twenty eighteen, and then the last one was at WisCon, which is a feminist science fiction and fantasy convention. And that one we used basically the same format for the workshop, but we shifted it instead of for humanities, it was more for fiction writing.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the structure of this and also the choices Mm -hmm. so the first one i guess let's let's explain the the choice of the overall choice of the of the thing because you know the i think one of the big questions that people get thrown off by when they hear you know well wait why the heck would you choose racket right like that's like you know isn't that a lisp like aren't lisps hard and intimidating and scary and
1: so let's talk about parentheses okay if you're a beginner Right. So as we said, I had already learned Python at this point, but my programming skills were minimal mm. at this point. And I had no problem with parentheses.
0: Right. So it's I think it's our personal experience and I believe the experience of others who have done this before that uh, the people who tend to have the hardest time with pe- like lispy parenthesis heavy languages are the people who have experience with other programming languages already where you already have a preconception of what a programming language is like and in fact one of the things that was appealing about racket is that racket is used as um has kind of two major categories of users one of them is absolute beginners like middle schooler beginners like actually like let's teach programming and math and etc to middle schoolers by having them program video games and like racket comes with a built-in video game programming game engine and middle schoolers pick it up, you know, no problem, but they also don't have the preconception that this is going to be hard or scary. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently the place where it's hardest is uh, that, you know, is actually the stuff where people do have a preconception. Um, The fact that like you do plus one, two, three, instead of one plus two, plus three, um, because people are used to infix notation because they already went to school and were taught that, right? So it's mm-hmm. the places where people tend to have a pre-existing pre-exposure that that kind of syntax is hardest. But I, and, but
1: and honestly, with my experience with HTML, the parentheses made sense to me because closing a tag out before you finish and being able to like have an editor that will tell you, oh, that's still open right like that made a lot of sense to me
0: right so if you're part of the thing also is having an editor that makes this friendly right if you're just mm-hmm. using something that's not built for that kind of syntax then it's going to be really hard but Dr. Acket makes it easy basically and you know you could also use emacs or vim or something else with you know the appropriate plugins to make it easy um, i guess even uh Uh, VS Code has something now with like Magic Racket or whatever it's called that can let you do it. But I mean, you need basically editor support. But if you've got somebody who's never done any programming before, it's nice that Racket comes with something that's out of the box, built to do, you know, its own thing, basically. Mm -hmm.
1: And then the other main thing that intrigued us about Racket for these particular workshops is that most programming tutorials and languages... Their base tutorials use math as a universal language, and that's because math is pretty universal, right? For example, when I was learning Python, the Python tutorials have two universal languages they use. One of them is math, and the other one is Monty Python jokes.
0: And you even like Monty Python. And I
1: even like Monty Python, but I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of Monty Python, so... There was one time when I was learning Python and I was doing a tutorial.
0: T- I had I had asked Morgan to do the standard Python introductory tutorial and I went upstairs and was doing things I'm like, I'll be back down to check in at some point and and we learned um. that might not be the best strategy for teaching somebody things all the time but also i came downstairs and you seemed very flustered
1: and i had been trying for hours to do this one problem in the tutorial and i was following the directions and my code looked like it was right and i could not figure out why the parrot was still dead i was doing everything right and i was like in tears because i could not figure it out
0: Right. Morgan's like, why is the parrot dead? Why is the parrot dead? I'm like, you, you did everything right. This is the Monty Python dead parrot sketch. The parrot's supposed to be dead. And Morgan thought it was an error in her code that the parrot was dead. It it wasn't an error. That was the, it's corrected, inspected output. So normally Morgan enjoys Monty Python, but I'm like, let's watch the skit. And Morgan was just angry watching the I was the so dead mad at that parrot. Skit.
1: <laughs> so... Inside jokes can be problematic as your universal language because not everyone's going to understand the nuance of it. Mm -hmm. And the problem with math, for me personally at least, is I am um, dyslexic and dyscalculic. Which I probably mispronounced that word because I always mispronounce it because I'm dyslexic.
0: Yeah, I know. Dyscalculi or dyscalculic? No, it's, it's
1: dyscalculic, I think. I always mispronounce it because those two words are like the hardest words in English to say if you're dyslexic.
0: Yeah. Um, or if you're just not familiar with the word as I am.
1: Yeah, or if you don't know Greek. Anyways... My brain transposes letters and numbers, but I'm worse with numbers than letters. So I have problems with math because my brain doesn't work the way that other people's brains work. Mm -hmm. So if you're using math as a universal language, but you have people who either have learning disabilities that make math inaccessible to them or just don't feel like they are math people, which a lot of people in the humanities have that kind of like self-image then using math as the universal language is a barrier to entry mm-hmm. and racket as one of their base tutorials has a picture language so it uses shapes and images as the universal language so you learn how to append a circle onto another circle Um, and you can create pictures
0: colorize a circle 10 red and it makes a red circle basically
1: and you can customize the sizes for everything so basically it's another universal language that people theoretically should be able to understand but you get rid of the math as a barrier to entry
0: um So also, just just to make it clear, if you've done programming in something like Python, etc., you know, you've got the interactive, like, interpreter or REPL or whatever you want to call it, and normally you can type in commands there, like, print hello world or whatever. So in... What, what Morgan's describing here when you say the colorized circle 10 red is it actually prints out a red circle that you can visually see. So mm-hmm. it's not just like it writes it out to a file that then you have to open up somewhere else. It's immediate feedback mm-hmm. that's visual. And that's like interesting and, and useful, I think. But I actually think that having a traumatic experience with math is very common, even for people who later on in life find out they like math. And one of the ironies here is that one of the... Those middle schooler workshops, part of the motivator there is that we teach kids math wrong. That whole having a game engine, you know, you could give a word problem where the the horse and bu- buggy move from this town to that town. And you try to piece that together and turn that into variables. But what if you actually turn that into something that then on your screen it actually shows the horse and buggy moving from one town to the next? Mm-hmm. You know, so... That whole idea that we could actually visually even teach math better. Turn uh, word
1: problems into visual problems. Into a visual
0: problem that you can perceive, right? It's which that, would
1: have helped me significantly.
0: Right. Because I'm a very, visual learner. You're a very visual learner. If middle schoolers can learn it, then then hopefully we can all learn it. Yeah. Uh, also, shout out to any middle schooler listeners that we have on the show, which I don't know of any. But, if, but it, if
1: you're out there, welcome.
0: Yeah, welcome. So aside from that, the other big appeal was Scribble, right? So yeah. let, let's talk about what... We kind of vaguely describe what Scribble is, but since you've been using Scribble a lot, why don't you tell our audience what Scribble is?
1: So Scribble is a markup language um, that you can use inside Dr. Racket. What's a markup language? A markup language is a language that uh, you have a text that you're trying to format, and you format it by using tags or... um, some form of programming inside the, uh, the document. So it's much more precise than, for example, if you're formatting a document using a word processor and you have everything in one font and then you copy a quote from the internet into your document and then suddenly everything after that is in a different font and you don't realize it.
0: Yeah, and just you highlight Yeah, so if you've ever um, so HTML is an example of a Mm -hmm. markup language, right? So is uh, Markdown is probably one of the most common and Mm -hmm. popular markup languages. Which if you've ever written a post on Reddit and you've had that syntax that you type, you've had that format that you type things in where you try to make a link by doing the square brackets and then the parentheses and stuff like that. That's a markup language. Mm -hmm. Um, So Scribble's one of those for writing documents. For Racket, basically. Yeah,
1: but the bonus of using Scribble and Racket together in these workshops is that Scribble is a markup language that's secretly just Racket code.
0: Yeah, actually, so in in Scribble... It looks kind of like if you're writing something like Markdown or HTML or something, you type, I'm very excited about all this. And let's say we want to make rain bold for some reason. This mm-hmm. is a really weird example. I'm staring at a rainy scene outside our window. So um, so we're going to make the rain bold. You could type at bold, and then you put you know little curly braces, and then you type rain inside of there, and you then you close the curly brace. And in what's secretly happening there, is that bold is actually a function in racket Mm -hmm. and it's actually a function that's operating off of the text rain then at that point Mm -hmm. and uh
1: and all of the other text all of like the text that you want visible is by default a string in scribble and then if you want to include a function that like bold or italic or something like that string
0: string just meaning uh programmer text yes (laughs) Uh, that is a really weird word, by the way. I was talking with somebody who said that they had asked, they had spent some time trying to find. I don't want to name check this person because I don't know if they'd be happy with me name checking them. But they name checked Knuth. They said that they, they <laughs> asked Donald Knuth, why do we call it a string? And even Donald Knuth couldn't, uh, like went and looked and tried to figure it out and couldn't figure it out. So
1: I appreciate that you didn't name check the person who did this, but did right. by proxy name check.
0: I name checked the person they name checked. Instead of me name checking the other person. Then it's not me name dropping. It's me that name is... dropping somebody who name drops someone else. Then
1: you're hearsay name dropping. That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: It's you don't know that
1: Donald Knuth said that. <laughs> Cite your sources.
0: And if they're wrong, it's not my fault. It's this <laughs> other person that the audience doesn't know about.
1: So using these two things together, we came up with, first of all, two tutorials that we wrote.
0: That's right. And we presented them together at the, at the in, workshop. In a workshop,
1: yeah. So the first half of the workshop was working off of a tutorial that Chris wrote.
0: Yeah, so that was the snowman tutorial. And basically it took the idea that, okay, so we've got um, these you know little picture constructors inside of Racket. We want to teach people some basic Racket stuff. So we taught them, here's how you make a number you know, an integer or other kinds of numbers. I'm not going to get into all the different types that are available. Or strings, which are, for some reason, the name you use for programmer text. Um, you know, Booleans, they're just true and false and blah, blah, blah. So we gave them people those introduction to those basics, showed them first how to make sentences out of that. Um, and then we, right after that, jumped into, um, you know, like, what do you do after your simple text substitution Hello World? So after you've finished your um, like basic word sentence construction examples, we need we want to do something else that like gives people immediate feedback, and we have this picture language. So since you can construct a circle, and as Morgan said, you can append a circle on top of another circle, well, that means that making a snowman is very simple and just a few steps away, right? So we basically walk the people through how to make a snowman And then we uh, um, even end up making some brown-colored Ys that we then turn sideways, which then become the arms that we stick on the side of the snowman. We make some sort of emoticon of like, you know, a colon and capital D or a colon and parenthesis to make it smiley.
1: And since everyone at our workshops is familiar with emoticons, everyone made a a unique face for their snowman.
0: That's right. And then uh, turn that sideways and put it on the snowman, make a top hat. And basically, at the end of it, people have made a little postcard, basically, of the snowman. At the end of that part of the tutorial. And so, the purpose of the snowman tutorial is to give people exposure to programming languages kind of as programming languages, right? But just like a very basic get your feet wet type thing that you can do in the first hour and a half of this tutorial. And so, now let's talk about the second part of the tutorial, which Morgan primarily ran and also wrote. Mm -hmm. Although you modified, I think, the initial Scribble tutorial. Uh, Like, both of ours were kind of a modification of existing Racket tutorials.
1: Yeah, so the thing with the Scribble tutorial is that it's very useful for learning how to use Scribble, but if you're trying to format a basic paper for college, it, it doesn't have a straightforward way of doing that. You have to go through and find individual pieces. So what I did was I... Going off of the Scribble tutorial, I put together a separate tutorial for writing a college paper in Scribble. So, you know, 12-point font, Times New Roman.
0: Yeah, and I think also the the other thing was is that you wanted to reduce the amount of the time that people were having to type in all the sentences. And mm-hmm. so you had just the unformatted text that people could copy and paste and then just start adding the markup around it and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so yeah.
1: so in, in the second half of the workshop, as Chris said, we had just a blank te- or a base text that people could copy and format. Some people just started typing whatever the hell they wanted to type and started formatting their own thing. Which is great. If you wanted um, to do
0: that, excellent, right? Yeah.
1: And then we went through the basics you would need to do in order to have a document that you could turn into your college professor um at the end of it
0: and 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 what was kind of nice is that that variance of some people sticking. Straight to the script, and some people deviating a lot happened in both the scribble version, where some people wrote stuff that was closer to what they wanted, and also the snowman one, which we we should post a picture yeah we what, have
1: we have a snowman family of all of the uh yeah well not all of them the ones that people sent
0: us, yeah, some of them were very standard snowman uh snow people, and some of them were i think one of them was uh, a yellow snow uh, like a, it was a, definitely a yellow snowman a, like a bright yellow snowman so whatever <laughs> happened to uh, um that snow before it was rolled up into a ball uh or after or after we don't know um but anyway the uh uh
1: and, and we'll link uh both of those tutorials in the show notes so if you guys want to make some snowmen and send them to us yeah
0: you can totally do it
1: you can add to our snowman family
0: yeah one of them might have been bright purple something like that anyway let's let's talk about what went well from that workshop and then we can Mm -hmm. get into the stuff that we the lessons learned uh what what do you think is the first thing that went pretty nicely
1: so the poster we had for this workshop was really cool so we made the poster using scribble Mm -hmm. so the formatting for the poster was all done in scribble and then we printed it double-sided so that you could see it as a nicely formatted poster. And then at the bottom, it says, flip to see the source code. And you could flip it over and see the Scribble markup language. And that it,
0: And it was actually a, a screenshot of that source code yeah. in Dr. Racket so that people would get an idea of what it would look like in this editor they are going to use.
1: Yeah, so... Um, the ideal was when we put it up on bulletin boards, we just put uh, put pins in the top so people could flip it up. But m- more useful than that was just I had some of these in my backpack as I was going around campus, and when I was pitching this to people, I would pull out that that flyer, and I could show them what Scribble as a markup language was and how that directly translated. So the poster itself was a good um like mini tutorial for how this thing actually worked
0: and certainly what your appetite for it yeah. like you know and and th- so before we move past this poster let's talk about what did the poster say and what effect do we find about the way that the poster's language and kind of messaging uh, affected people so i don't we don't actually have the poster pulled up right now we so, don't so we're gonna have to go this off the top of our head but but roughly what did the poster say
1: so the poster, um, the title of the workshop was
0: "Digital Humanities Workshop: Programming for Everyone." Yeah, pro-
1: programming but, for everyone, and then put okay. some text
0: on there that said, um, "Do you feel like you'd really like to be able to learn programming, but feel like it's mm-hmm. it's not for you? Well, have we got the workshop for you?" Yeah. Right, like so, like basically said, you know, if you feel like that's something you'd like to be able to do, but you also feel like it's not for you. This is your workshop, basically. Yeah. Um,
1: and we had that. We also had the line saying that there's no prerequisites or math required yep. um, to do this. And we said that it was being hosted by the Material Culture Focus Group. And I think between those three things, our initial workshop out of
0: it was close to ten participants yeah, I think it was, think like it was maybe, I think there
1: were nine eight or nine participants. I think it was nine, and it was overwhelmingly women,
0: I think it was eight out of nine women, yeah, right it was it's all but one person was uh um was uh identified as a woman and so that was that was impressive. Because because
1: it was a programming it was a programming
0: workshop. tutorial and also the poster didn't say anything about gender yeah there was no mention of gender on there it
1: had my name on there but my name is gender neutral
0: right well and both of our names are both gender of our neutral. names are gender neutral and I don't think we expected that we were delighted mm-hmm. by it but yeah. I think it it showed that there was an o- it spoke to an audience of people who felt like they wanted to be able to participate but couldn't participate mm-hmm. and you know that resulted in this gendered dynamic in a way that was pretty interesting. So I think that that went really nicely. We can put that poster's image in the, uh, in the show notes yeah, so people can look at it. And and then
1: people can see what the actual words were instead of what we remember several years later.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What else went well?
1: I think that people really understood Scribble. It was a good choice for a very short tutorial that was kind of like a gateway into more because obviously people weren't going to learn everything they needed to become programmers in three hours, but we did have a good deliverable at the end of those three hours. You could use this markup language yep, in a meaningful way.
0: People said that they thought that the racket stuff made sense, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we got that commentary repeatedly, like this made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that actually I'm going to speak positively about the par- parenthetical syntax because I think that one of the nice things about having things in the parentheses, like for a long time when I first used other languages like C and Python and stuff like that, the whole syntax of it, like the way that, the, the, like the way that you type out basically your programming sentences feels magical. It's not really clear what's going on. But the st- structure you're looking at is very close to what the programming language is actually doing. Thus it actually is really clear how things flow. So people are like, oh yeah, like this thing's gonna, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have this part, you know, is gonna turn into this thing, which then turns into that thing for that other thing. Anyway, maybe that's an aside, but it it, it felt like um, that was actually something we got praise of yeah. as opposed to what people I think default assume. is going to be the response.
1: And part of that, with both the parentheses and Dr. Racket, is that if you're using Scribble or Racket inside Dr. Racket, the editor itself does a pretty good job of telling you where the bug is. There's a little pink mark on the side that basically says, here's where things are wrong. So when you're debugging... It's easier to find where that was instead of just trying to find in a massive wall of text yeah. where you went wrong.
0: Yeah, so there it, it points out the errors pretty well for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and
1: in that beginning like three-hour tutorial, most of those errors were people forgot to put the end parentheses. Yeah, so, like so you
0: could say the parentheses thing did come up that way. But, but that
1: happens in HTML all the time.
0: That happens in HTML. You, you
1: forget to close out your bold and... Then, everything is bold for the rest of your document,
0: sure, um, yeah, and uh so I think that the um i, I so I guess the the other thing seemed to be uh the enthusiasm level seemed mm-hmm. pretty high, and i
1: I think it helped that there was something that they could actually do in three hours.
0: that wasn't an accident, right yeah, like, that, that was, was intentional that was an intentional part of this. The structure, right, mm-hmm. is that we wanted to be able to have people be able to walk away with something concrete, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. So, what didn't go well?
0: Well, that was one workshop. But was it enough on its own?
1: It was only three hours, and you're really limited on what you can teach in three hours. So, we provided people with sources like they we pointed them where the documentation was and there they could if they wanted to go on and do more of the base tutorials for racket and scribble
0: well we we also had planned on doing another one of these things
1: at uw at
0: uw and what happened
1: there was a random snowstorm in april that canceled our workshop And then it was too late in the semester to reschedule at a time when everyone who had already registered was available.
0: Um, And and people did register for a second course. Like, people are excited enough to come back.
1: Most most of the students, I don't think it was all, I think out of nine, nine, there were, like, seven that registered for the second one. And some of them, like, one of them... Wanted to come to the second one, but was presenting at a conference that weekend or something like that. So, yeah, it's yeah.
0: Oh, oh, I forgot to mention one other thing that went well. Hmm. Uh, we had uh, we had at least one really useful volunteer. Right. My brother was oh, yes. uh, was volunteering. So shout out to Steve. Thank, yes, you, for, to Steve. Uh, thank Al- you for.
1: Also shout out um, for the one we did affiliated with uh, Libre Planet, Ben Greenman who's a member of the racket community came to our workshop in Boston and also also acted as a volunteer so that we had one of us at the front of the room giving the presentation. And then we had two volunteers walking around the room to help debug individual people's code, which I think was really helpful because if you only have one instructor in the room, then people are less likely to ask for help.
0: Yeah since we've reverted back to the what went well, let's say one more thing uh, before we continue onward, which is one person did leave this workshop. And even though this was a shorter time exposure, like they're, we're not going to drop their name because we didn't get permission, but they ended up making this a major part of their career. Right.
1: And previously this actually stands out in my mind because during the break, this, uh, this woman was at the workshop in Boston and during the break she asked so what's the point of scribble and having the ability to write functions into this why why should i be interested and i pulled up my dissertation and specifically my image list and i had a csv database of all of my images and and the text for them which
0: you managed in a spreadsheet program yes and
1: libreoffice calc
0: right but then could open in Racket, too. Yeah,
1: could open that in Racket, and then with the press of one button, all 118 images in my dissertation were formatted. And I all I have to do is move one line in the CSV, and it will renumber all of my images so that they are in the right place. Um,
0: right. So... So that that clearly had a big impact on them because it ended up actually ended up affecting their career and academic trajectory. Mm -hmm. And again, we won't go into too much more detail because we didn't ask them before this episode. Um, But it was really exciting to see that that like, you know, that that made an impact on at least one person's Mm -hmm. future career stuff but still we felt like this one workshop was not how much we wanted to do mm-hmm. right and we had planned that second workshop where we were going to do more things like what you just said
1: yeah the the one of the main things that we were going to do in the second workshop was incorporating functions into the scribble document and chris put together a tutorial for data mining so if you were
0: yeah it was it was it was actually uh it actually Show you wrote it was a a fake paper about, um, Pride and Prejudice, um, or actually various Jane Austen novels, I think. And I think it, based, it
1: was just Jane Austen novels.
0: In yeah, general. and it it downloaded them, like we, from we, Gutenberg. We downloaded them from Project Gutenberg, put them in a directory, and I wrote a function that extracted how often certain words showed up in various Jane Austen texts,
1: and then auto-generated uh tables of you know how many times the word. Tables and charts of how many times the word T showed up in Pride and Prejudice versus Sense and Sensibility. Right.
0: <laughs> and T, so on. T versus something like Sensibility, right? Yes. You know, or, uh, or
1: Mr. Darcy. Mr. W- Darcy comes up a lot.
0: In one specific. In
1: one specific and then not at all in the others. That's
0: right. So so the, the point there is that we had more that we wanted to be able to teach. And I think this will come up more towards the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. But we... Um, one limitation is that just doing one workshop didn't feel like enough for us
1: yeah Um, and doing it as workshops you end up with uh the example i gave earlier of the student who wanted to be at the second workshop but had a scheduling conflict and couldn't so if you're just doing it as workshops then so and someone misses one then they miss down the line too
0: but why don't we return to that in a moment and talk about the other challenges we ran into so uh um what what else happened
1: so the output options for Scribble, um, they have a, a really useful Render to HTML button. Um, so it can you can just click it in the in Dr. Racket and see how your HTML is coming up. It also can render to PDF and Markdown and I think LaTeX directly. There's, it, it can render to several different things. But the one thing that it did not have was a way to export to any word processor.
0: Right, so that's relevant to what I just did in the last couple weeks, and that will be more public. Uh, will be soon yeah. in the after I get a pull repro- request into the uh, the Git repository for Scribble. Mm-hmm. But that will actually be improved where you will be able to export and open in a word mm-hmm. processor. But at that time... But we'll we, talk
1: about that later. <laughs> we'll
0: talk about that later. But at that time... It
1: wasn't available.
0: It wasn't available and some par- participants said, well, how am I going to use this?
1: Yeah. And then the other thing that it doesn't have is uh, it has that rendered HTML button, but there's no way to preview uh, document your document in any other format. So in PDF or Markdown or whatever. Um, you have to actually go to the command line and export it in order to see that.
0: And it, there was a limited amount that participants at that point were willing to were sorry not willing but able to also learn something like open up the command line, yeah. and so on in that class. Um, yeah, so related to the PDF and LaTeX stuff, uh, the default styling for LaTeX and P- LaTeX and PDF uh, documents. It's primarily built for people who are writing computer science papers, I guess. Yep. So, um,
1: which is not the style that you would use if you were turning in a paper to your professor. Yep. Um, and
0: Or at least in these st- domains.
1: <laughs> in these domains. And, st- like, redoing the style in LaTeX... Is not an easy thing to do and definitely not something you can incorporate into, like, the last 10 minutes of a three-hour workshop. Yeah. Because LaTeX is...
0: LaTeX complicated and being like, oh, yeah, don't worry, you can change this LaTeX header and the command line scribble processor, like, lets well, you be able to put in a custom headers and stuff like that. That's like...
1: And we did create a custom LaTeX header that we just gave to the people for... Um, the basic changes for,
0: but but how much can you ask? Uh, how much can you throw in? Like, here is how to be able to run command line arguments. Yeah, for blah, blah blah. When we're also and you
1: need to have LaTeX on your
0: when like teaching the command line wasn't even part of this specific class. You know, yeah. like that that or this specific workshop, I should say. Yeah, that's that's something we had to we didn't have time to get into, um and many most people in the class had no command line experience. So. Yeah. I
1: think one person in the class other than well at least in the one at University of Wisconsin. Um the one that was affiliated with Libre Planet had was about half people who already knew programming to some extent, and half people who didn't but knew other people who did because we were marketing it through Libre Planet. So
0: um
1: for example, we had uh one person who was our target audience and a humanities person. We had one person who was doing um community outreach and also fiction writing. We had oh I'm sorry, there were two people who were humanities, but one was specifically um someone who taught digital humanities and then we had various other people who were there because they were at Libre Planet and they wanted to see the new Red Hat building.
0: Yeah, but they also participated in the But they participated in the, the-
1: workshop, so yeah. it was good. And then at the WISCON one, we had a much smaller group of people.
0: It was also very much less advertised. The The, the point is, is that we had different audiences at different events, right? Yeah. And I'm sure that that's, that makes sense, right? Whether you're going to handle it on a university campus or at a computer programming company's office is going to affect the yeah. number of people and whether come it's up.
1: marketed on bulletin boards on a college campus versus um, at, yeah. through a computer science uh, conference. conference yeah
0: <laughs> yeah that's going to affect the out the who ends up showing up anyway mm-hmm. so related to what you said about there's no pdf preview it we also thought it would be really useful if dr racket itself the text mm-hmm. editor itself gave you a preview while you were writing the code. And I now know enough things where I could write that functionality. It's not written yet. I don't know if I'll have time to write that functionality. I believe it's very possible to add this feature to Dr. Racket, but nobody's done it yet. So that would have been helpful if people could just type and then refresh a little preview button or something like that, or it automatically happened every now and then, and gave them feedback that things were changing and updating.
1: hmm So the main what didn't go well that we discussed here, the main thread through that is not enough time to teach all of the things that would make people able to use this. And
0: keep in mind, for three hours, the first hour was mostly spent on installing Racket and Dr. Racket.
1: And debugging why it wasn't installing on Macs.
0: So that really only gives you an hour each for learning the basics of Racket and learning the basics of Scribble. That's like not a ton of time.
1: Yeah. So Chris and I planned this uh, workshop together and then after the workshop when I probably should have been working on my dissertation but I was just like on a roll with this I put together a full syllabus if we were to do this as a 10-week course or if I were to do this as a 10-week course that would include teaching the command line and a little bit of LaTeX and doing... More things in Scribble and Racket, including Frog, which is a blogging software. It's a static site generator for people who know that phrase. Yeah, a static site generator. So, uh, and then also teaching more about free software and free culture um, into this digital humanities class that would have broader applications. So, maybe someday.
0: Yeah, well, okay, wait, hold on. I think we're towards the end of this episode and i think we should say if you're listening to this and you think these ideas are intriguing and you have a position with an academia or know somebody who does and you're like gosh i wish we had a full 10 week course about introducing digital humanities topics somewhere uh, morgan is nearly at the end of her dissertation and is hireable and i think it would be really nice to actually see this type of thing as a full course so, but uh, um, I'm doing the plug for you.
1: Shameless plug.
0: Yeah. But, well, it's less shameless if I'm doing the plug for you.
1: Yeah, because you're completely unbiased.
0: I'm completely on unbiased. On whether
1: or not I'm employed.
0: Fully unbiased. <laughs> that's that's the advantage of uh, me doing it. So, anyway, uh, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. If you thought this was interesting and we you felt like we teased you, a bit with some of that stuff about the odt exporter and the dissertation stuff well good news we will have a follow-up episode about those very topics but for now it's close to an hour so i think we should wrap up what do you think sounds good all right
1: all right thank you everybody
0: thank you take care have a wonderful halloween will this be out by halloween i don't know
1: this will be out by halloween
0: okay well then have a wonderful halloween all right bye everybody bye Boss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted
1: by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber.
0: The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show.
1: The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86. Composed by Alex Smith of the Cynic Project, and is waived into the public domain under cc 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information.
0: You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social on Twitter as at @FossandCrafts, or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org.
1: We also have a chat room. Join our community half foss and crafts on irc.freenode.net
0: if you'd like to support the show you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c-w-e-b-b-e-r
1: that's it for this week
0: until next time stay
1: free and stay crafty like this
0: is a tangent this is a tangent but uh we're a bit punchy it's good we we said we're very tired